I know that uh, a while back there was a whole conversation about player skill and back and forth and how to define it. And one of the things that I think falls into that category is that a good player, good, you know, as in a, a, yeah, a player that is good, not an alignment thing, uh, <laughs> you know, they want to engage with the game even when it's not their turn to be in the, quote, spotlight. So a good player skill to have is that to learn to listen, to learn to interact, to learn to enjoy what the other players are doing because they can be doing awesome stuff and sometimes listening to their story is really cool. And also, uh, you know, going with that is a good, another good player skill is to make sure that you share that spotlight. So if you feel like that you're talking a lot, that you kind of hand it off. And I've been fortunate enough to work, to work, to play with a lot of great players that know kind of how and when to do that. And they're really great at kind of sharing the spotlight. So very lucky there. Welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timurspushi. This is your host, Menihon, also known as Rob. Never record a podcast and cook. <laughs> Alright, take two. Here we go. So what's on the menu today? Um, well, curry for me. Okay, curry for me, but uh, that's not what you want to hear. So what I've got for you today is uh, a couple of call-ins first. Um, one from Carl Rodriguez of... The, who is the geomologist? Actually, he does a podcast called The Geomologist Presents, also on Anchor. Um, and uh, so thank you, Carl, for calling in. Also, we've got a bunch of call-ins from uh, Daniel of of Bandits Keep podcast and YouTube channel. And that was actually Daniel um, opening the show today with a really interesting call-in. And uh, he makes a great point out there about, about uh, the importance of listening as a player skill, the ability to listen and to allow what other people are doing to to unfold within the game to sort of bring other people into the game and to riff off of the other players um so um yeah thank you so much for those calling gents uh put those uh up at the beginning of the show well no, no actually i think let's see i think i've got carl at the beginning and then i'll go into uh, a recap of the runequest <laughs> let me get find my teeth the RuneQuest Glorantha campaign, uh, the six seasons in Sartar, that I have recently started. That's a quite a long section. And after that, uh, again, I've got some call-ins from Daniel, um, really some interesting points, um, you know, and some silly stuff in there as well um, about sandwiches, but uh, there's good stuff in there, so uh, please listen. Um, and then on the other side of that, sandwiching, if you will, uh, Daniel's comments, I've got um, a little bit, I promised about um, how I've got my campaign started, how I went about um, preparing for the campaign and the general setup that I'm using uh, with regards to character sheets and other stuff. Um, hopefully something there will be of interest to the listeners um, whenever and wherever you're listening. So um, that's what I've got for you today. And then of course, at the end, uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of blether. Um, so um, that's all I've got, and uh, welcome. Please listen. Come on, come on, enter. Hey Rob, this is Carl Collin. We're out here picking up trash at a park, but I thought I'd, I'm listening to your podcast, so I thought I'd call in. Yeah, I think that is something that frustrates me the most, as a player especially, not so much as a GM, because I just 
keep going or I pass or whatever if someone is not aware or not paying attention. But what frustrates me as a player is a, a lack of tactical awareness by various players. Um, and they're like, I just don't understand what they're doing or they're doing something to be silly or funny that's not helping the party that definitely frustrates me and makes me not want to play with that group again. So, um, you know, uh, I, I feel you. I feel you, bro. You want people to be engaged and attentive and know what the hell is going on and have some sort of tactical sense um, and help the party, help each other, not leave people hanging. That's what I cannot stand the most. But uh, anyway, I will talk to you later. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a gripe, obviously. Uh, it's a common GM gripe. And in some ways, uh, as players, I guess all of us are, are guilty of doing this to in one form or another uh, from time to time. But uh, yeah, it does surprise me sometimes when the things that players do. Um, part of it is uh, is perhaps the sort of gambling, the sense of gambling that on the odds that you think you can you can pull something off and it's this idea that you know you're having fun and you you're just trying to push and push and uh, see what results you can get but the the gambles often don't pay off right <laughs> if if the system is at all um balanced or or uh in some way has a sense of i don't know uh competition or or, or uh risk involved um a good example is uh, I raised earlier as the um, is a character I had who had something like ninety three percent in his broadsword skill. You know, it's as close to perfect as you can get. And um, I, for some reason, decided to combat um, to fight with a a giant uh, undead troll. In, in RuneQuest. Now, the first, first round, I think I may have hit the opponent, but not really done much damage. Um, yeah, and, and in fact, actually, he, maybe he went first because of the size, you know, the, the reaches, everything in, in RuneQuest. He, he goes to hit me, uh, hits. I roll to parry using my broadsword skill. I roll a 97, I fail to parry. He hits me in the chest, uh, does a huge amount of damage that goes right past all my armor. I haven't buffed or anything either, so I don't have any magical protection. He just basically kills me in one blow. <laughs> Knocks me down to minus over minus three times my hit points on, on the torso, uh, killing blow. Um, a heroic character killed in one blow. Um, so, I mean, it just goes to show that uh, the odds are not always in your favor that even what appear to be quite high odds are there's always that chance of failure right there's always that um, thing that that percentage you're not taking into account you know in any game seven percent is still quite a, a large risk <laughs> but players um gamblers often don't think think of it like that it just recurs to me, occurs to me that I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but uh, I, I think there's a connection. I think not always um, p paying attention to the game, to the strategic necessities, to the risks that are involved, not listening to the descriptions um, 
uh, that there's a connection between all these things. Um, certainly joking around uh, and again doing something for a laugh. And then you have to ask, you know, is that really what you're doing? <laughs> um, part of this is uh, inescapable because I guess we're having fun. But there's other times where you're trying to build tension uh, and, and uh, in the game you're trying to build this sense of drama, drama uh, something unfolding really there is a lot at risk at the table and people are just fooling around a bit and um, before you know it somebody's character dies and they're like oh, hey you know like as if you weren't forewarning or uh, forewarning them foreshadowing a great deal of risk coming um and that, I suppose, is down on the players, but it, it nevertheless, it leaves a, a, a kind of a bad taste in everybody's mouth. So it's um, one of those things, isn't it? It's a, a difficult issue. Um, it's a difficult thing to prepare for. And I've just spotted a very rare type of fly or bee that has a really long proboscis. Um, it looks, I think they're called hummingbird bees. Uh, sorry for changing the subject. Uh, I haven't seen one here around my apartment I'm up on the seventh floor but you know, again you know I'm surrounded by hills uh, small mountains so we do have a great deal of wildlife but um, yeah a fun, funny little creature um, almost looks like a, a a hummingbird quite large for a bee maybe uh, three centimeters four centimeters three centimeters long four centimeters long with the proboscis um, the proboscis, of course, giving the sense of it that it's a, a hummingbird, but it is, in fact, like, I think it is a bee, not a fly that looks like a bee. It's got the stripes and everything, a little round body, quite an interesting creature. Um, anyway, uh, that is beside the point. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your call, Carl. Okay, so here we go. Roving reporter, Robert. So I'm walking along Nishikikoji, which is a, a street in the in central Kyoto. I'm just gonna take a right up here when I get there. Um, I forget the name of the street. <laughs> I think it's Nishi, Nishitoin Road. Anyway, it leads past a lot of old, old uh, places, uh, old like inns and also um, uh, traditional arts and crafts places. Not shops for the tourists so much as, you know, the real deal. <laughs> so you'll get place, you'll get a geisha actually go in there to some of these places for training on the shamisen or koto, which are you know traditional Japanese instruments. And also around this time of year, just turning up the road now. Is it Nishito? Kan, I don't know. Just turning up the road now, and uh, in addition to. Uh, such places, yeah, this time of year we've got the Gion Festival coming up. And Gion Festival has been going on for about a thousand years. Uh, it misses a few years, like during the war, um, and uh, recently with COVID, it was called off, or or the scale was, you know, it was scaled down. But uh, yeah, it's uh, a festival that was originally established to keep things like diseases away there are a number of diseases and uh, um, see play well, diseases pl plagues and uh, 
fires and also war that devastated the city at uh, a couple of times, a few, you know, for a period of years. And in order to keep the evil spirits at bay, they start up this festival, which has been mostly, uh, mostly uh, successful, I suppose, if you see things in such terms. But anyway, this is a, uh, a good topic for discussing RuneQuest. So I'm going to move on to RuneQuest now. Um, and as we go down the street, maybe we'll get some interesting sounds in the background. That was the delivery bike, bicycle, just now for delivering parcels and so on. Um, but more interesting that probably will be we're lucky the sound of uh, musical instruments being played by students and teachers and various other people up this street so yeah we had our first game of RuneQuest yesterday and uh, I don't think it could have gone any better to be honest uh, it really surpassed my uh, wildest hopes um, we Actually, I went down there early, about arrived about ten past four, I think, something like that, four o'clock-ish, because I thought uh, I'd set up early. Uh, one of the other guys who actually uh, is the, not so much the owner, but uh, in charge of the, of the room, as it were, tends to arrive about an hour early set up and do a few things and so we have a, you sometimes have a little chat but what I did this time was use that extra time as an opportunity to get the ball rolling early now in the first session of our six seasons of Sartar campaign the players or rather sorry the characters are being initiated they're taking their rites of passage into their clan in order to become adults and uh, each each well, the initiation is begins as an individual uh, kind of traumatic experience experienced by each player character and then they combine so what you effectively have in my case is six PCs um, each having a little kind of separate um, encounters with the other world with the spirit world as part of their initiation and at least initially and obviously that would take a lot of time and means that people would be sitting back waiting for their turn and if you recall previously we had you know we it's not always easy for people to sit back and just listen to the game um, being played out. And that's kind of understandable in, in many cases, many circumstances. Well, I got around this, I suppose, by uh, suddenly realizing we could use that time to play out whoever, um, play out the initiation right, the, the, the individual part of the initiation right or whoever turned up early. Now this sounds probably crazy because what we are doing effectively is 
jumping forward in time um, and playing out these initiations and then um, stopping and returning to the beginning as it were right so we're having these flash forwards uh, for want of a better word now or term um, now I just thought it would be a good way to do it and I figured it would work out more or less but um, it worked out better than planned um, in fact it worked out really uh, ideally so I won't go into too many details just in case you know off chance that you any of you wish to play or run this campaign or play in this campaign anyway but um, it yeah, went really well how did it go really well well like this the you know two of the guys um, were there early so I was just running uh, the first guy through his, his his solo part of the initiation when the second guy turns up so you know quite uh, after just a short time I was able to transition onto his um, part of that initiation right and this uh, occurred and we basically did all of the initiation rights at least the solo part of that um, for everybody but one which was really good because then we could use that to bring it all together once we uh, once we had moved up to that point from the actual beginning that is to say we returned then we started at the beginning of the adventure and the beginning of the adventure starts with a you know a, a brief introduction to the mundane life of this small clan in the mountains uh, of Sartar and although I say mundane mundane life for you know a clan <laughs> of Sartarites is deeply uh, involved with the gods and with uh, with magic so the players were are celebrating or performing the rituals necessary for the plough day holy plough day i may have the name wrong there but and this involved them all the men and the women separately uh, doing an important part of a ritual um, the, the women go off and prepare a seed and bless it and choose a, a leaf, one of their one of the uh, women or one of the younger women who has just come of age to become the like you know it's kind of like the May Queen although this isn't May this is set in spring so this figure uh, acts as a god and takes on the role of the god and leads that part of the procession um, under the supervision of the um, priestesses now meanwhile the, the males uh, are led by the, the clan chief and uh, priest of Orlanth who is the storm god of Sartar uh, and Dragon Pass and 
<clears throat> as they're, you know, they're doing the rituals, the winds whip up, the clouds uh, obscure the sun. Um, and this is a reminder that the magic, the ritual is real. It has a real effect. It's real world effect. It is not uh, superstition. Um, and, it, or it, and it's not uh, separate from the world of the mundane. Or at least if it is, it's, it's veiled. <laughs> All right, sorry about that. A lot of uh, noise on this little road. I'm just going to move along now. See if I can find a quieter portion. Um, well, uh, so the, the ritual involves, in brief, um, the sacrifice of a bull, which is quite uh, quite um, graphic in some ways, I suppose. Um, I don't know how the players felt about it, but they then use um, the blood of the bull, which is collected, and that will be used when they get back to the village and meet up with the women to anoint the plough um, the seed is scattered on the earth and then the pl it is ploughed into the, the field by the clan chief uh, on his own. And once that's done, the, the, the ritual has been completed uh, and the best has been done. The, the groundwork has been um, laid for a suitable harvest, right? And this, this is their real introduction after the, the shocking kind of um, spirit world initiation um, uh, scene that we had from their future. Now, after this, they engage in some. Um, they, they engage in some uh, games um, and festivities. Um, so this includes races and wrestling, and uh, we use this to as an opportunity to practice some of the rules and you know acquaint ourselves a little bit with the the system uh, underlying the game, which is of course in Quest Glorantha, and uses a deep centile, uh, a D100, as you probably know. <coughs> so by this time, um, and actually during this time, we, we established which homesteads everybody belonged to. There's only about 300 people in this small clan, and each, um, each of the um, free holders, you know, the cattle holders, has a homestead, uh, which is a long house with an uh, extended family living around it and working the fields uh, and, and land uh, nearby. And uh, there are also cotters. One of the characters is actually a cotter. And we established which homesteads we were from, whether they were related uh, as cousins or not, or... Um, and it was an interest. It was interesting in the games and in talk. There was a uh, kind of rivalry, friendly rivalry, appearing between those from the northern homesteads and those from the southern. And the guy, the guys from the northern homesteads, uh, included um, a priest or the, the son of a priestess and a um, well, the son of the chief. Actually, to put it simply. So the, there's a bit of a bit of a kind of rivalry, uh, um, north and south, and, and class as well, I guess, uh, which has been quite interesting. 
um, and we'll see how that develops. But it was in, uh, a good point to start with, I think, from from that like that. Instead of choosing the homestead beforehand, we chose it during the game, um, allowing them to build up some discover the relationships between themselves um, um, because we've already got the relationship with their you know their their families and grandparents and so on but we don't have that kind of connection of their own generation right and that was kind of necessary so um, moving along after the games um, I uh, you know there they were some poems and read by the the local scald and general festivities but I also pushed upon them that they were still children that they weren't allowed to drink um, alcohol uninhibited they, uh, they, one of them actually flirted with, uh, with a, a, a young woman who was staying from a local clan and I explained that well that was acceptable they were still too young to if you sort of really get into the nitty-gritty as it were because um, they're still considered children um, so underlying that there are social norms um, that there are taboos about behaviour and as you can expect you know players um, sometimes react in different ways to these kind of um, restrictions and so on that's probably worth a conversation in itself uh, but to return to the structure of the game we then pushed the clock forward and got to the initiation night again so we're flashing forward or we're catching up with the time and only one of the players had not gone through that solo process of initiation so then I was able to describe it again and um, so everybody gelled suddenly that, that oh right we're all, we're all, we've all been dragged from our beds at night by these masked figures who are probably the menfolk of the village but they're kind of terrifying um, and yeah we, we catch up with time but what was interesting is there were two unfortunate um, outcomes to their um, kidnapping in the night as part of the initiation um, and this involved uh, one of the the, the, the chief's son actually um, was thrown into the pit and um, badly badly injured his leg basically broke his ankle or something and <laughs> one of the other players as part of his initiation what took a, a real wound to the arm which um, completely mangled it um, leaving him already crippled um, welcome to RuneQuest <laughs> so they discovered uh, quite quickly that that even very uh, mundane uh, situations or at least mundane in the terms of fa fancy role playing games um, can have uh, life changing consequences in the game um, but they all made very interesting decisions as part of their initiation whether it was to stand up against uh, injustice or violence to protect their uh, clan or families and uh, 
yeah, they, they took that well, I think. Although I think they were quite shocked at how this was all unraveling, unrolling or unraveling for them. Excuse me for the noise again. Now, I think uh, this all started to come together when they realized, uh, yeah, they did pass their initiation. They met um, an ancient ancestor. Um, clearly, they're not in the real world. They're in the hero planes or something. And the ancestor heals their wounds and, and explains about the, the secret, some of the mysteries of their tribe and things that they need to know now that they have become adults. And this is just one stage of that, but normally they would be allowed to return home. Um, one of the, the NPC, in fact, was broken uh, in his during the initiation and uh, had to retire because he, he had failed um, but the others although it would be quite normal to return they decided to continue on into the darkness now this darkness is the pre-dark it's part of they're now on a sort of yeah they're on a separate plane almost and by following this route they will be entering one of the final battles actually that was fought uh, in the god time against chaos and this battle is called I, I fought we won which is incredibly descriptive when you when they hopefully learn about the what that means and what the battle was about and how it was fought how it was won uh, so um, that's where we ended the game <laughs> um, and um, although it might not seem so because I've glossed over things it, it was really epic <laughs> it was really epic um, some of the writing in the adventure is just beautiful and I did have to sort of read some of these things occasionally which I apologize for, but I think from the reactions, now, everybody said it was, I, I had people saying it, it was absolutely fascinating. The world was fascinating. The, the, the setup, the adventure was fascinating. Um, and I, I, I had uh, goosebumps on my arms. And I don't think I've ever felt like that about a game. Um, so, yeah, we got some real good magic going in there. It really felt like we were tapping into something. Um, yeah, um, difficult to put into words. Uh, possibly I should leave it at that for now. But the next session, uh, I'm really looking forward to. I was so wired when I got home. Uh, I couldn't get to sleep until 1.30. <laughs> Wondering how this would all pan out, how it would work out. Um, so they've gone they're going to continue on from having passed the initiation into going on to a hero quest which is what they'll be doing when they they walk the paths into the god time uh, and this could go all over the shop um, which is uh, really wonderful but when they heard of the opportunity of doing this and the potential for 
say, I guess, becoming real heroes, yeah, and sort of outdoing the the other adults in the in the tribe by perhaps pushing further, pushing the envelope further than those in tribe of the the clan now. They couldn't resist it, right? <laughs> so that that's that. Um, yeah, the next session will maybe be. It will still be quite. There'll be a lot of uh, linear. There's a lots of linear elements to these hero quests naturally, and as it's an intro um, to the adventure, it is. Yeah, it is kind of linear, but the actions and the outcomes uh, are what make it quite interesting despite that um, so yeah I'll probably stop here I'm gonna go on a little bit later probably and talk about some of the some of the grunt work that I did for getting the campaign to the point where it is now but um, yeah I'm really over the moon um, I'm really glad the guys seem to be taking really well to have enjoyed it as much as I did and I really enjoyed it um don't think I've enjoyed a game so much and in fact it felt like I was playing it felt like I was playing it too um so um yeah that was good stuff hey Rob Daniel from Beta to keep calling in now I listen to the podcast in the morning and it is now about midnight because uh, it wasn't in a place where I could record, so hopefully I'll remember all the things I was going to say. But as far as RuneQuest, I think actually you kind of nailed it a little bit, um, although the players that I was playing with didn't have much experience with RPGs, period. Um, I think that because they were higher-level characters, they actually were kind of confused. I think they just felt like there was too much to do on their character sheets, and that the characters were a little bit overpowered. Like, they were even like, these characters are so powerful, I don't know what to do. So... Uh, they didn't get into a lot of fights, so I'm trying to remember that they did, I think they even succeeded in the thing they were supposed to be doing. Just in the end, they didn't love it. Um, they, uh, we ended up playing Swords and Wizardry the next week, and most of them liked that, although one player that really didn't like RuneQuest didn't like that either, and they just don't really like RPGs, so there you go. Um, <laughs> or maybe I just didn't do a very good job. Who knows, but, uh, yeah, uh, maybe I should try a more low-level RuneQuest adventure. That's right, you know, uh... Not all uh, RPGs are for everyone, and uh, not everyone is going to like role-playing games, so what can you do? Um, well, for me, um, the reason, I guess, that I find RuneQuest uh, exciting is it, just, uh, I guess it comes down to a number of things, the setting as well, but system-wise, there's something about the hit points per location, you know, the armor points on different locations, the, the sense that you're you're cutting and thrusting and you're parrying you have to do these things that it's broken down into into uh, seconds rather than abstracted uh, as per dungeons and dragons that really kind of captures my uh, really excite find it really exciting anyway um and i think that's why i've always come back to that you know um I guess Pendragon has that kind of, uh, you know, the parrying and stuff to an extent, and the armor, the armor absorption. I should point out is a, a key feature of most of uh, Chaosium's uh, games, at least at least the fantasy role-playing games. But that 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 sense of simulation realism when it's coming to a combat, I think, really is able capable of of building um, really excite a great deal of excitement, at least. 
for me <laughs> it won't do for everybody um, some people just want to succeed um, um, and move on to the next thing you know uh, combat is a case of hit points being whittled away but um yeah yeah you I mean you got that you've got hit points in RuneQuest, but you're never going to have more than say 12 or 13 <laughs> for total hit points and your hit points on your arm might be three so if you get hit by a broadsword which is going to do d8 plus one damage uh regardless of not not counting strength modifiers there's a, a very large chance that that arm will be knocked out uh of operation in one swing if you're lucky um it's very unlikely that you'll just uh emerge with a with a scratch i mean the least you can do is two damage right you've got three hit points in your arm yeah you're really lucky uh, otherwise uh, most likely result is that you're gonna that arm is gonna be uh either uh, knocked out of action uh, badly injured and uh, unusable or it's gonna be uh, maimed or even cut off um, so yeah, it's, it's um, a game like that. You really need, if you're going to get into a fight, you wear armor, or you make sure you parry or dodge, use shields, um, you use magic to absorb the damage, and that's the kind of game it is. It's not for everybody, but I think um, for me, there's a lot. I can get a lot more satisfaction out of that than just whittling down hit points and uh, you know rolling to hit an AC and you know. Um, but, you know, I obviously am a huge fan of D&D as well, so, you know, there's different different, uh, different types of games, aren't there? And uh, there's different types of excitement and, and fun that can be had uh, of both. So, um, yeah, that's probably all I've got to say there. But let's continue on and see what else you've got to say, Daniel. So I may be unusual in this way, but I don't generally put butter or margarine or anything like that on a sandwich as just a regular condiment. I would put it on if, like, I was going to toast it. So it didn't sound like your sandwich was toasted. That's very interesting, though. I don't see why it wouldn't be delicious, and the sandwich itself actually sounds very good. I'm going to have to try that. Um, and so far as you were talking about people talking and the, the nature of the sitting around the table, you know, I'll say that whenever I run at cons, I always ask for a round table for exactly that reason. I think when somebody's at the very end of the table, um, it can be hard to talk back and forth. If I'm playing with my regular groups, though, I usually ask the person that tends to be the most chatty <laughs> to sit at the far end of the table. That way they have to talk across the table to everybody. You know, like the bard, if you're playing 5e, or whoever might be the, the face person on in a, a regular game. I tend to not want that person sitting right next to me because then the conversation becomes this, like, closed-in... Oop, too much. This closed-in conversation... I don't know if that recorded. This closed-in conversation between the referee and that one player that's like the the caller or the face person, you know, whatever you want to call them, of the group. So I, I try to put that person at the far end of the table so that they have to talk across everybody. That helps a lot. I can say when I was at GaryCon, I played in a really big group, and he actually, the, the GM did not do that. I mean, of course, we didn't know who was going to be the caller person when we first started, and the guy that chose to be was kind of at one end of the table, and the GM was in the middle, which was very nice, so I could hear him totally fine, but once everything kind of started and the caller was making a lot of like, we're going to go left, we're going to go right. All the conversation was on one side of the table and it really did make it hard for those of us on the other side. So I don't, I think that was just a matter of, we probably should have put the caller in the center, but you know, again, we chose it later. I guess the thing is people sit down, 
people sit down at con games and they don't they don't want to get up i guess <laughs> I, I think and, and i've learned from this now that if i'm ever at a square table or a rectangular table and i have a game where there's a caller if that person is not sitting like at the far end of the table so that everybody can hear them then i will just ask them to move before we start i think that's a simple enough solution that we just none of us thought of at the time so it did make it hard for us to hear in that one game but usually, like I said, I usually, when they ask me what kind of table I want, I always go around for exactly that reason. I feel like a round table allows uh, everybody to kind of be within range of uh, talking. And I 100% agree with you. I think that, like, if you're too bored in the game when it's somebody else's turn, then maybe it's not the right game for you. You know, turn-based RPGs are not for everybody. You know, some people like uh, other kinds of games, and uh, it might be better suited for that. So that's what I have to say about that. So Daniel, <clears throat> it never occurred to me that uh, people wouldn't put margarine or butter on a sandwich. Uh, of course, toast, uh, yeah, yeah, because it's quite kind of dry and you can stick in your throat. But I, I always thought everybody put stuff, uh, butter and margarine on their sandwiches. So there you go. Um, you heard it here first, maybe, or maybe not. Um, getting back to the subject, the, the main subject, role-playing games. Um, Seating, seating. I, in fact, we did have a change of seating, so I did sit, sit in the middle of the table, the long table, and everybody else is sitting on left and right of me, either uh, on the same side or or, or opposite, and it was a big improvement. Um, again, you know, we had some conversations breaking out occasionally, some some sort of off uh, off topic uh, things, but because of the seat, the way everything was seated. Uh, it was much easier to to draw people back in, uh, and uh, also, uh, I guess because I'm I'm closer to everybody, um, it's easier for me to be heard a little bit. But uh, that that was a general feeling. Um, as for the shape of the table, well, I'm using a, a rectangular one still, but I'm in the middle. I mean, we could have arranged it, but it just seemed like. Uh, too much hassle moving the tables around and having having to move them back at the the end of the session. Um, uh, as for uh, round tables, yeah, I mean, I mean, King Arthur chose a round table, right, for a reason. So uh, there must be something decent, something uh, good about them. So I know that uh, a while back there was a whole conversation about player skill and back and forth and how to define it and. One of the things that I think falls into that category is that a good player, good, you know, as in a, a, yeah, a player that is good, not an alignment thing, uh, <laughs> you know, they want to engage with the game even when it's not their turn to be in the, quote, spotlight. So a good player skill to have is that to learn to listen, to learn to interact, to learn to enjoy what the other players are doing because they can be doing awesome stuff and sometimes listening to their story is really cool. And... Also, uh, you know, going with that is a good, another good player skill is to make sure that you share that spotlight. So if you feel like that you're talking a lot, that you kind of hand it off. And I've been fortunate enough to work, to work, to play with a lot of great players that know kind of how and when to do that. And they're really great at kind of sharing the spotlight. So very lucky there. I think that's a really important point that uh, Daniel brings up there. And that's obviously why I put it at the head of the show as well. Um, sharing the spotlight. It's not easy, um, but it is um, a very uh, powerful skill, powerful skill, powerful um, tool for, for uh, bringing the group together, for getting the game, um, keeping the game uh, active and, and uh, player-centered. 
uh, without the, the ability to share the spotlights, the, the, the sense of things being done in turns becomes um, more uh, difficult, you know, it becomes more artificial. That is to say, um, as Daniel's pointed out in his earlier calls, you have, it's a turn-based game. People um, get to do things on their turn to some extent, but it is possible to sort of jump back and forwards with some skill, you know, with with a few uh, um, carefully observed uh, conventions, whether that is through callers, which is uh, having one player uh, collate all the different uh, decisions being made by the players and presenting them to the games master uh, thereby allowing the games master not to be quite so confused and to con concentrate on some of the other things going on behind the scenes um, or uh, doing things uh, in a very careful structure perhaps jumping back and forth through careful uh, player interaction through sharing the spotlight as Daniel is saying here we're able to sort of overcome some of the limitations of the turn-based game um, and make it a little bit more uh, organic rather than uh, artificial I mean it's going to be artificial because there are rules and we're not uh, we're not live role-playing but but we can we can mitigate some of the clunkiness some of that artificiality by through uh, careful cooperation through observing certain um, understandings of how much is too much from uh, one person and when it's time to to bring other people draw other people in uh, allow them to sh so share the spotlight as they say I mean I hate that kind of terminology share the spotlight I hate the the drama and the the film the even the uh, literary uh, uh, language that is used to describe a lot of what we do in role-playing games these days but um, you know I mean it has its uses right but um, that idea of sharing uh, and, and moving on and, and keeping everyone involved for I believe it is not down it should not be down to the games master to consistently come back and ask uh, tell people to hang on there and ask the, the quiet player what are you doing this can you know this can be shared right the other players can also um, say, I'm going to do this with the other player if he, if he wants, or uh, what's your guy doing because I want to do this, or so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, uh, really, really interesting. Um, one more point, sorry to belabor, belabor a point, but um, group size obviously is really important here. Now, if you've got a smaller group, it's much easier to, to be involved um to share the spotlight to to pay attention to what other people are doing not merely to what you're doing to what your turn is and then sort of just uh letting everything sort of go by uh, like running water under a bridge um, in 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 a larger group which is really what i'm doing for the most part nowadays you get this problem where there are so many people that the it becomes very mechanical um operational you know the turn to turn the player to player um uh, switching uh, and so on so in these cases you do need a very uh strong hand as a games master or you need a caller 
or you need some really, really um, uh, cooperative uh, players, uh, because it's not easy with the larger groups. And of course, that is probably why the caller was uh, originally brought into Dungeons and Dragons, because the, if we were to understand how many many people played the game back in the you know seventies, early eighties, often there there was only, there were only so many GMs and uh, quite a large number of players, surprisingly. So we um, we needed, or the the game table needed that that person to tie everything together, to 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 act as a a mouthpiece for the group. Um, to filter the action uh, back down to the games master in a more coherent, um, summarized manner. So, yeah, I, th I think I only used the cooler system right in the early days when I started role playing. But that might just be me confusing my readings of Mincer, um, which which talks about the importance of a cooler. Uh, and confusing that with uh, the reality at the table, which may not have actually used the caller, but I, th I think we did use one in, when we had the uh, school D&D club. Anyway, um, thank you so much, Daniel. That's uh, lots of uh, amazing points there. Right, I've got to get ready to go out soon because I've got a game of the Yellow King starting in uh, just over an hour, and I've got to cycle up to uh, the house of the games master who luckily at least lives in the same ward the, the same kind of uh, part of the city as I do so that's great um, but I, I did promise I was going to say a little bit about how I'd set up the RuneQuest campaign and so here is where I'm going to do it uh, I'll try to be as, uh, as quick as I can concise as possible Right, the, the uh, planning really got underway in October, November of 2021. Uh, obviously, I've been doing a great deal of reading before then. But uh, yeah, it wasn't until that time that I thought, Wait, let's just go for it. So I started character generation with the players, most of the players around uh, November 2021. Um, finishing in uh, maybe early November, uh, December. But uh, then... We had to set it back because uh, one of the players uh, had to go home to Australia for a couple of months or a month or so. Um, and then, you know, uh, we ended up doing something online, um, with, a game which we already knew well. Um, fast forwarding, um, we played quite a lot of the this uh, game, the Greyhawk game. And uh, now here in, uh, you know, I guess it would have been May, uh, now June, uh, we, I felt we were in a position where we could put the AD&D game of setting Greyhawk uh, aside for a while and uh, go back to the RuneQuest uh, game that I had planned, the campaign Six Seasons in Sartar. Now, um, since then, two players had joined, so I had to create characters for them. How did I create characters? Well, um, I did it mostly in uh, two sessions per person. Uh, occasionally, in one case, I think there were two players um, at the character generation uh, phase, but in many cases it was one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, the first part I spent generally doing um, the history, the family history of of the player character, um, and pr 
perhaps some other little parts, you know, um, something about the, the family occupation, so on. And the second part, we did more of the actual characters, the player characters, um, uh, individual uh, characteristics, their their ability scores, their skills, and so on. Now this was done online. That is to say, I was doing it, and they couldn't really see what was happening. So I had digital uh, character sheets. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to share the screen with them, um, and I asked them various questions. I explained certain parts of the rules, particularly um, a lot of effort went into explaining the runes and passions, particularly the runes and how they had an impact on all levels of the game from casting spells to their personality as a kind of alignment system to other factors like uh, um, joining cults and, and uh, enhancing, um, I can't think of the word, inspiration, uh, enhancing uh, various skills um, that were associated with each rune um, so you know the runes had to be an impact a lot of effort went to explaining that much of the skills actually wasn't about allocation so this could be largely done by me um, without the player's input because once they had their had decided their um, their occupation and which of the optional skills that they wanted the actual level of the skill was pretty much set. This is because we're running um, 15, 16 year olds um, rather than uh, skilled adults. Um, so they just have the basic training of their culture and occupation um, to to affect their skills. Right, um, so yeah, I used the digital, uh, digital uh, character sheets. And this, these are PDFs and I input data there was a little bit of uh, some, a couple of issues because I was using a Mac and occasionally I was using a PC, particularly for printing, but that's another matter. Now, I, now I keep the, the character sheets dated and available on Discord so they can have a look at them. There's always a, a digital version of the character sheet there. And I also print out a, an up-to-date version of the character sheet. And I'm going to add uh, character sheets after each season probably uh, when they have had some training and time to reflect from experience so obviously their skill levels and other features factors uh, will will change and and i'll add a new couch sheet based on that perhaps keeping the old couch sheets uh, probably keep them in a folder somewhere <laughs> for reference if we need to sort of go back and look but that's how i'm running it um so it was a, a great deal of uh, work, donkey work for me as the GM doing this. I think I must have done about up to 18 hours just on character generation um, for, the, for, the, for the players all combined because I was doing maybe two to three hours per person, six people. You know, that, that's quite a great deal of work. Uh, I could have done it better perhaps, but we're all new to the game and so it really, really re needed that, I think. Uh, also, you know, RuneQuest Glorantha takes time. Um, the the first section on character history is essential. It comes at the front. It's to um, it's to set the stage, as it were, because these aren't uh, footloose um, footloose uh, 
kind of cutthroats and, and murder hobos wandering around, or at least if they are murder hobos, they 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 do have a very important associations with uh, with group and so on. Um, I may have already mentioned this, so I'll I'll, I'll keep that to that. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Um, and again, you know, passions, they're, they're who they are, what they are, uh, where they want to go in the future, you know, what kind of archetypes do they wish to play towards. Um, I had to explain the, the connection between the gods, the, the runes and the archetypes so that they could sort of plan out what kind of character they wish to become in the future. Um, I mean, they're not limited to that. That's the strength of uh, RuneQuest, is that you, you can develop in any direction. But, you know, those initial stages also help um, people get a, a hook on what they're playing without being too lost in the, in the sea of possibilities. Something that uh, Daniel brought up when he was referring to the the quick start uh, game that he uh, ran and that I also played in separately um, earlier in this episode. So um, I think that's enough for now. Uh, suffice to say that you know I'm, I'm 48. I do forget a lot. So from that time reading in the adventures in the probably uh, summer autumn when I when I first got them. Uh, rereading them again before what I thought was going to be the session in November and now you know uh, again in June uh, May, May June having to go over the material yet yet, yet again uh, there's a lot of prep involved but um, I don't know I, I'm feeling it's um, coming out quite naturally uh, I'll talk more about the game I've already talked about uh, the nature of the game particularly the initiations and the hero questing which will be a little bit more or appear a little bit more linear than other f parts of the game um, by necessity um, but I'll come back to that no doubt as I do various um, recaps and uh, updates room quest updates going forward through the campaign so that's all I have to say on setting up the campaign if you have any questions however you know please uh, ask me and I'll, I'll say how i am dealing with any given uh, part of the rules or problem uh, in my case at this time so uh, thank you well it's dinner time here and i think that's a good place to bring this episode to a conclusion well um yeah, big changes from us, so I'm now running the RuneQuest campaign, and that's great. Uh, currently, I'm involved with uh, RuneQuest um, and Old School Essentials, at least they, they're the games that I'm running. I'm not going to do a recap of Old School Essentials this time, just to say that I'm having a good time. Um, lots of role-playing at the moment, which is good, um, and uh, very little combat, but uh, definite uh, kind of exploration and interaction with NPCs and each other so that's good um, outside that I just finished I just came home from a game of Yellow King great stuff uh, we're just start starting a new campaign that is set in the the modern age the current current times but kind of a alternative world it seems uh, more on that as it comes um, I'm also still involved with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay uh, a second edition D&D campaign um, being run by GM Shadow who is also on Anchor and uh, first edition text game of uh, AD&D 
goodness, goodness, uh, what else? Uh, and a fifth edition game, I shouldn't forget that. Fifth edition uh, D&D game, uh, the uh, whatever, Secrets of Saltmarsh or whatever it's called now. That's a really good campaign, so uh, probably need to talk a bit more about that at some point. So, uh, really busy. Um, I'm going to try and record some uh, discussions with uh, other people uh, rather than just rambling by myself. And I've got a few things that I've got lined up today, actually, two, two interviews that I'm going to be recording today. Um, besides that, I did promise uh, to, to uh, follow up on a message that I got from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Jason's unfortunately been really uh, unwell recently, um, throat problems. Um, he seems to be on the mend, but it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the family uh, are also not too well at the moment. So hopefully he'll get better and the, the family too. Um, he, he mentioned in a message, he was not unable to talk, but he me- mentioned in a message that uh, he didn't realise I was a big fan of West End Games' Star Wars, the, the original first edition Star Wars rules. Uh, I am. <laughs> I thought I'd mentioned it before, actually. But I, I ran a... I ran... Um, yeah, I ran a couple of uh, one-shot Star Wars games uh, for my home group and also online for uh, the various people. And uh, yeah, it was good. Um, I really love the rules. I could talk about that no end, uh, but not today. Uh, however, maybe me and uh, yeah, I need. To, it's time to get uh, involved with Jason and have him on my show instead of uh, the other way around. So, what do you think, Jason? Would you be up for a little discussion of West End Games and why it's such a great system? Yeah, West End Games, Star Wars, of course. All right, that's enough. So, uh, thank you so much for uh, following me. Uh, on this little uh, weird meandering tour. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned things in the discussions here and there that I have not followed up upon, but that's just the way I am. If there's anything you you want uh, clarification of or you want to follow up on or you have questions about, um, you want to develop things that I've not really thought hard enough about, then please get in touch with me. I can be contacted here on Anchor if you have an Anchor account. that's on, under my, you know how to do it. You press on the message thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, you can also contact me at Scott in Kyoto. Uh, that's Scott with one T in Kyoto as one word. Uh, Kyoto is K-Y-O-T-O at yahoo.com. Um, other than that, I can be reached upon uh, Twitter. Twitter, I am um, I am at Old Shabby Gamer one word old shabby gamer um yeah you can uh, direct me mail direct mail me there um you know anyway that's probably enough you're not going to contact me anyway are you no, maybe you will all right please enjoy your games enjoy your socializing stay fit stay well uh, stay mentally well more importantly and uh till next time bye bye